man, we've been in hibernation. City State, the podcast, uh, we've, we've, it's been cold. There's not been much going on over the, the holiday break. But I feel like now that we're back into, um, gosh, the January is almost over. This stuff's happening. we got a lot to yeah. talk about. My name is Pat Smith, one of the, 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 the hosts here on City State. As always, uh, the fantastic Patrick Henry's on with us, and we got a special guest. We got a special guest today. I'm going to let our special guest um, introduce himself, and then and then Henry, we'll, we'll just hear from how you've you know managed to make it through uh, this this dark and cold January. Oh, okay. Um, well, my name's Rob Monsma. Uh, coming at you from the original Highland looking out my window and the snow is coming down pretty intensely. So I'm digging that. Rob, what and, do you, uh, uh, what's your, what's your background here? Are you, you're, you're a planner, right? I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm an urban planner. Uh, I try to do a lot of advocacy for a number of different topics, mostly mobility. I'd like to get more into, you know, housing advocacy as those conversations continue happening in this city. Excellent, excellent. And and Henry, what's what's what? You're you're a mainstay here on on the podcast. Um, and for all all of our new listeners, uh, you know, coming 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 in, maybe listeners for the first time. Just uh, what's up with you? New li- new listener. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm still living out here in the suburbs, wondering, you know, why occasionally. <laughs> but <laughs> I hear you're coming back to Wishing, the city. I heard you're coming you know, back to the city. Here's the thing. Every day I wish I would come back to the city and then I'm in the city and, you know, I'm finding myself questioning it a little bit, Um, you know, just and I don't mean to sound like a negative, but, you know, there's this part of me that just like I just would love to see more happening. There is some stuff happening in Louisville, but. You know, I drive out here. It's kind of um, this is all going to sound terrible, but it's just like it's it's isolated to a sense of like, okay, we're out here. There's nothing going on. I'm not, you know, we we were having conversations about cars left on the street and that kind of stuff the last time I think we got together, and I know both you guys have posted about it on Twitter. Like, I don't see that stuff out here. I'm isolated from that, you know, and occasionally that's nice. (laughs) I'm I'm not, you know, it really is. So it's not where I want to be in the sense of reliant on a vehicle. But there are aspects of it that are you can enjoy that you can enjoy that deep and rich tax base out there. And, and, you know, and, and, and I feel you, man, I feel you. Well, we're coming in. We got a lot on our plate uh, to talk about because we've been we've been um, away and out. We got we got my, my dogs to be barking. Dogs are yeah. going to be on the podcast. It's all good. But uh, man, I don't even know where to start. We got like uh, the I-64 widening was shut down. We got all this talk about potential for uh, red light traffic cameras and support from uh, possible support for Metro Council on the state's decision on that. We got issues around free bus transit and can that be a thing in Louisville but just one thing I wanted to start on uh, before we get into all of the the the, the bits is uh, there was a fun uh, piece in our alt weekly in the city um the the leo weekly gosh this was out when did they drop this last week for good or bad uh 
Louisville sure looks different, reads their tweet. And then like the, the article that, that their digital article was, uh, they're looking basically at, at a function in Google, Google maps where you can drop into street view and you can sort of scroll through photos of, um, when Google has sent their team through on streets and you can see some changes. And it was like, uh, I think it was an interesting thing and I'm glad they didn't, um, I'm glad they did it because like, uh, it's just, you know, if you've got a few minutes, you're sitting in front of a laptop or a, or a computer just to kind of to drop into street view and, and, and toggle that thing around and see how your streets changed, um, see how your neighborhood commercial district has changed or just various places of interest for you in the city. Uh, what was happening with them in like, 2007 when I guess when Google was doing some of the first street view um, photos up to like the last some of the last shots, some of which are like 2019, uh, some of which are actually really recent. But it seemed like most of the ones for Louisville were on the 2019 range. And it was just really kind of um, a good time to look at like what what's happened um, with some of these. Like I just like one of the ones right off the bat that they went to was a uh, so-called Whiskey Row um, down at the 100 block of um, West Main Street. And man, back in 2007, this thing was like totally boarded up, looking like some Walking Dead um, kind of uh, street view situation <laughs> here. And, you know, with all, you know, various investments, uh, you know, despite the big fire that happened there, what, what gosh, was that five, six, seven years ago um, it, during the trying to like rebuild, re rehab of this whole thing? I mean, it's looking like a much fresher, more active space, even though I've got, a, I mean, we could pro probably all talk about the issues that Main Street has right there at the Second Street Bridge in terms of uh, cycling and pedestrian activity um, and, and the way the traffic flows right there. But I mean, that was a pretty kind of like pretty stark view. Uh, you know, they got some obvious ones like, the, you know, the, the old Executive Square um, or Riverview Square office building um, with the Yum Center. Um, but sort of as they get into the neighborhoods, like I'm just like looking at some of the the before and afters and um, it's just like, man, like this isn't I, I, I was just uh, my take on this when I just wanted to run it by you guys. It's just like, you know, we had 15 years kind of of change. And um, outside of like, I think, which is the kind of the biggest, coolest change in, in all of the photos they presented um, was the big four pedestrian bridge construction yeah. like that. That's like that was that's that was the kind of a huge shift in um, this connection across the river in Jeffersonville that we had. Everything else just kind of seems less consequential to me. I mean, people might argue that all oh, the Yum Center, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the, uh, the Yum Center to me is, is it's, maybe it's a whole other discussion, but a lot of these photos are really just like, here's a neighborhood that used to just be kind of a regular working class neighborhood. And now a bunch of the old shotguns are now painted brightly in garish colors and there's like a brewery or a secondhand shop in those now you know or like here's the same building but now it's painted more brightly and now here's a brewery in it i don't know there's some big ones i'm being a little bit dismissive of it but i just wanted to see like your all's take on like what like maybe you would have pulled out as like a monumental like not monumental is a strong word but like a big change over the last 15 years on on the street well, I think they missed. Sorry, I'm, I'm just jump in there, Rob. It. I'm just elbow, you got elbow, right. Your, elbow, elbow, this, right. This is in my there. first time. I'm, I elbow, elbow get my voice out there. Push, push Henry out of the way. Just <laughs> get right in there. Sorry, man. Uh, but I was just, I was just looking at it, and I think the biggest one that they didn't cover is Beecher Terrace. Yeah. Um, I mean that talk about like a holistic change. You know, I don't know what people think of it, but. Um, it's drastic how how much that's how, how different that is today. I was so looking I on the map. Been... I was looking on the Google Streets, and so in 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 oh like 
the last, the latest run, so like the 2019, 2020 run that Google did around Beecher Terrace, they're like just breaking ground. So it's not like, mm. like, cause we've like, it's, it's kind of like done now, right? Like a lot of the structures are in there. Yeah. Um, but like, um, if just comparing these Google shots, it's like not a great side by side because you just see like a tractor in a hole versus like the actual sure. public housing that, that was there in 2007. Well, I'm sure they could have found a picture, but <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the the Urban League too. I don't I don't know what that space was before, but that's another development that I think uh, has has been pretty significant today. I wish they would have maybe broadened their geography a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The street was um I, well yeah that 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 uh the 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 big the giant state of the art track field there at the intersection of all those neighborhoods in West Louisville. I think, I think, I think the 2007 Google shot of that was just like the, the big open field, um, which is, that's a good, you know, that's a pretty dramatic, like uh, change up, you know, between having absolutely nothing and then having this like state of the art, you know, enormous like track field facility and slash community center. Uh, some of the ones I pulled out um, were Shepherd Square, like uh, looking at like, so in the 2007 shot, you, you know, you see, the kind of like, you know, block, the apartment blocks um, of the public housing of Shepherd Square. And then in the, the most recent shots, you see the really like sort of Hope Six promise neighborhood, like more uh, higher, taller, bigger, prettier, nicer looking um, apartment buildings. You know, but again, like the what these photos don't tell that story of is that like, even though like, Shepherd Square, you know, was more dilapidated and older looking. And obviously this new federal, you know, public housing slash mixed use slash multi-income project looks a lot nicer. Those two photos don't tell the story of how many public units were lost in that process. Right. Um, yeah. I think some of the other ones that I, I pulled out, the silos being gone um, on the uh, interstate oh, yeah. access ramp at Crittenden. Like, I just, you know, funny people love those silos that was going around on Twitter like a few weeks ago. I don't, I don't understand people's obsession with the silos, with the, the crappy tarps that spelled U of L <laughs> university of Louisville all across it. But people were obsessed with, with, with that. Um, gosh, there was one more that I thought was uh, just something that was like good to, to pull out straight away. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to it. Henry, Henry what, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, similar thoughts. Um, I it's funny. I don't even recognize this like river Riverview Square at the corner of Second and Main. Like, I'm looking at this picture and I just can't put it in my head. You know, like <clears throat> it. So when I came across that where the Yum Center is now, it was like, wow, what? But, I mean, I was kind of underwhelmed, you know, totally. I think, you know, in the same way you were, you know, and part of that is like I spend a fair amount of time in Nashville and um, and I've spent just over the last year I've blowing up. Up to Indianapolis blowing up. Yeah. or Indianapolis. I mean, I've been there a couple of times in the last year. First of all, Nashville's not even recognizable from 15 years no. ago. It's, the skyline it's, looks crazy. Like some of the NFL yeah. stuff I've seen where they're doing the aerials before they come down to the game or whatever. Yeah. I'm just like, that's Nashville now? Damn. Yeah. And we used to go through there to take my son to visit his mom. And so we would stop and stuff. And there are areas that I'm just like, wait, is this even, you know, it's completely unrecognizable. Indianapolis is, has, it feels like it's becoming that. Uh, just there's so much with the, um, 
I think with with some of the developments that have happened there, uh, I have to think that the cultural trail has had a huge impact. How would you even describe the Indianapolis cultural trail? Well, I mean, it's just a system, basically multi-use trail system, you know, which is, you know, anywhere between, say, 10 to 14 feet wide that goes through the city right and it it um it has a sort of an aesthetic right they're using the same materials the same signage it's got plantings um but they're different depending on where you are what basically where you are in the city if the streets are tighter the thing tightens up and it behaves a little differently and stuff but you can get around through the city Mm -hmm. by walking Mm -hmm. or by bike and it's um like just the signage and wayfinding and stuff for this thing are incredible. And you just know you're on it just by the paving material. So what it's done is everybody wants to be on this trail, right? So developers have put a lot of money into developing uh, in and around the trail and the it's booming, you know? And so you can, it, it feels like you could probably, you know, if you were like my family, a family of, you know, two adults and a and a and a teenager, we we wouldn't need two cars there if we were yeah. sort of in that system. Yeah. So a little a little background here. I mean, the the the, the Indie Cultural Trail, I think I think the big first chunk of it opened in, in May 2013. Yeah. Um, and like this is basically bike pad through the city, connecting neighborhoods and the core. That's right. And, right. and like through and, and, throughout the city, yeah, it's in town. That's the key in and connecting is, neighborhoods. I think this, is, this ties into some other stuff that we wanted to talk about um, today. At least two different topics, all on the same thing. And I know um, Rob that you have some some commentary on this, but we we I think there's two different ple- pieces of like people want this kind of a facility in Louisville massively. I mean, number one. Louisville and the neighborhoods in the core are already so disconnected from one another. It's it's quite difficult to get around between neighborhoods. Um, it's it's not easy to get around between neighborhoods, especially if you're not in, in a car. There's just not a lot of straight line connections, and the ones that are there are on some you know dangerous one way roadways. Um, but you know, so we've had a couple of things happen um, that are related to this, and I, I think the first one uh, I, I might go to you, Rob, on this. It's like we had a we've, we got a mayor's race coming up. And one of the candidates um, was just like, we need to, like, reinvigorate the Louisville loop. And, like, the Louisville loop is this kind of old idea that we had. Um, and it, I think this kind of spurred from, like, early city-county merger stuff. And maybe this was an idea, like, back when the city and county was merging, where this is an idea where we can, like, bring together the whole community, the whole county, all 400 square miles of it with this loop that goes around, you know, goodly and wisely. And a lot of this shit's already there, but like the stuff in the downtown river area, yeah, that makes sense. But now, okay, we need to do a like 120 mile loop around the entire County out into the periphery of the, um, the, the periphery of the County in very rural exurban, you know, areas. And uh, do we need like a loop system that, covers the periphery of uh jefferson county yeah i mean i think given that it's like been under construction now for 20 years um which i think it started with like the riverwalk segments that go into portland oh yeah kind of like end at the portland wharf yep which is kind of just like a muddy mess 
um, these days. And I don't, I don't think they've updated those segments since they were built. So then this, I think the plan, the master plan got released, I want to say in 2010 or 2012. And there are elements of it that I think are really good, like connecting um, the parkway systems with shared use paths, which yeah. uh, I just, that's obviously like a fantastic idea. It would reconnect neighborhoods. It would get people to services. Like there's, um, there's a huge benefit from that. But the parts that frustrate me are just this nebulous concept of this like 120 mile loop that's like going through Jefferson Memorial Forest and some of the communities through there. Like, I don't know anybody that runs or bikes 120 miles multiple <laughs> times a week. Like, you that's, have to camp out, right? <laughs> I, it's ridiculous. Like, I know people that do that occasionally, but like, to me, it just doesn't really serve anybody. Um, and like what the parklands have done, I mean, I know it's not the full like, connected loop around there, but like the the 21st century parks, the, you know, kind of the private uh, parkland mm-hmm. developer that which is like, you know, I guess like, you know, this is just me personally talking is, you know, on deck to help spur loads of new greenfield single family residential development. But anyway, <laughs> um, like, I mean, they've already connected like a huge freaking chunk of this that it would take you hours and hours to walk anyway you know so it's like what's the value of like using public money to like link up existing you know difficult to get through you know right-of-ways and streets to like make this thing work it just doesn't make any sense yeah and you know um i don't even know where this like 120 mile number comes from like i i and i haven't seen a city that has a 120 mile loop going around and i think there's a reason for that because it's not a good idea People that did greenways were like they were like compact cities, like traditional cities, like people like a lot of people still don't get that, like calling Metro Louisville a city is kind of a misnomer because like we're not a city, we're a county. And like it it would kind of make sense to have like that kind of a pathway like around like 264, maybe, you know, but like having it at the periphery of, of rural and exurban and suburban areas. It's just it's completely bizarre and it, it sounds good on paper and it, 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 it appeals to like all of the districts that aren't in the traditional city. And, and like if people don't like think about it too much, it's like this is a positive for our community. But really, it seems to me like a big ass waste of money and like something that literally, as you pointed out, Rob, no one is asking for this loop to be completed. But no, there's the, not there was ahead. like a, a friends of the Louisville loop mentioned in the yeah. master plan, but they are gone like they're uh, you can't find them anywhere on social media like there's just nobody is is pushing this which is a huge problem like because as we know getting bike ped infrastructure takes a ton of you know political will um both at the grassroots and in the in from public office um well so i just don't i don't know it, who's trying to do it henry you got us onto this by mentioning the indie culture cultural trail and there's a couple of things that are more – I mean, like, instead of a big loop around a giant county, like, why not, like, an interior, you know, trail and park system? And, I mean, in that Louisville loop even has some of that in it, and it's pieces that haven't been – It does. It hasn't been. Can you can you describe the interior pieces of the Louisville loop park plan? Because that stuff is good. Like, let's keep that part of the Louisville loop, but get rid of the actual loop part and just rebrand the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, th- I think there are parts. 
I mean, Rob mentioned the, you know, the initial what we thought of as the river walk, which is so funny. I hadn't heard that name in a long time. But I remember, you know, riding, uh, pulling my kiddo in, you know, a burly carriage um, from Cherokee Park, you know, through like um, the Butchertown neighborhood, uh, through downtown and to uh, Shawnee Park. Um, And it was a great ride. And so there are portions of that park that sort of come in, say, from Shawnee. It comes into that neighborhood um, where like Chickasaw Park is, uh, you know, Algonquin Parkway, Southwestern Parkway. And uh, I think those are areas. Those are areas actually that are in progress right now as far as um, so as a as a slight defender of the loop. Yes. <laughs> um, I get the I get the but that's not really the loop idea, yeah. but it is actually. But, but, so, but so on the map, there's like an interior connections yeah. that are connecting the Olmstead Parkways, well, uh, right. northwestern, eastern, mm-hmm. um, and southern, and that's completely inside of the loop. But that was a part of this loop idea, yes. and that's not a bad idea. Um, and even though I think again, as Rob pointed out um, in a conversation earlier, that like you know they just did a bunch of work on southern. And the ideas that were a part of, of that connection did not make it into the redo uh, of Southern Parkway. Am, am, am I right on that? That doesn't that, yeah. that that some of that stuff is to come. So okay. they resurfaced uh, they resurfaced Southern Parkway, but there's still more to come for that. For first of all, you've got a couple things happening. One, you've got KYTC manages a portion of Southern Parkway. Louisville Metro manages the other portion. Um, so, you know, things always sort of happen like they don't happen like, you know, like one after the other. Like think of Lexington Road, like they resurfaced a portion of it. And then a portion of it was like really rough for a long time. And then finally, I think that got resurfaced. And it's all about who manages what. Yeah, but that, that's that's a huge problem generally in, in Louisville too. I'll just say, the yeah, who manages these roads. Yeah, who manages? And I think it's almost there's a there's a there's a you know how do you coordinate that stuff to work so that it works more fluidly, you know, so that things happen, so mm-hmm. that you don't pave a road like Grinstead Drive and then all of a sudden a utility comes in, you know. Uh, five months later and cuts a portion out, you know, um, I don't know how you resolve some of that stuff. It's, it's crazy. I know I'm sure Rob, you deal with it. I know we deal with it as like designers, you know, it's like you do something and then all of a sudden there's a utility in there cutting it up. Is to kind of shift a little bit, the new butcher town, um, Phoenix Hill new loop plan. We talked to some of the folks that were involved um, on the, the Butchertown Phoenix Hill um, plan. Gosh, last was it early last year. Some of the folks from MKSK, Gosh, some of the folks from the city, even longer. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> but um, you know, the, the the plan dropped. The plan's done. The consulting's been done. But there was an idea in that plan for um, Phoenix Hill and Butchertown that kind of like you know, in a small way, in, in the you know Louisville Twitter urbanist world, went kind of nuts, and people were like, were really thrilled about, which is this idea. Uh, this and, and this is again. This is not a new thing that came out of the Butchertown Phoenix Hill plan. This is something that the city had already been had kind of buried in an old plan. Is this connecting of Butchertown to 
basically like connecting Butchertown down through Beargrass Creek all the way yeah. through neighborhoods to the Louisville Zoo. And people were kind of like, oh, my gosh, like people that weren't aware of the existing plans for this, um, people that have only seen this new plan were like, this is a freaking fantastic idea. Oh, I, yeah. c- c- can I have, could I imagine walking from um, what are even some of these neighborhoods called? Like whatever's down Poplar level, you know, whatever's like south of, of Germantown. Like George Rogers Clark area. Yeah, yeah, yeah and even like Autumn. Newburg. Uber, oh, yeah. Audubon, yeah. all of that, like being able to like walk or bike unobstructed by vehicles from kind of the zoo area all the way downtown was blowing people's minds. And it kind of like took over a little bit some of the other great stuff that was in the Butchertown Phoenix Hill plan. And um, I just wonder what you guys thought about that and, and, and the feasibility of this and, and it, like what what's up with this? The feasibility is there. I mean, we did um, the Gresham Smith really sort of headed up by Lewis Johnson from our office uh, partnered. He, so a couple things. OK, when the corp, uh, what was it? The Congress for New Urbanism, when they had their um, their conference in Louisville. Uh, we we partnered up to sort of do one of the big projects. They do a project. They do multiple projects in in the cities that they come and do their conferences in. And there was this weird kind of project, which was sort of outside of uh, the Congress for the New Urbanism's normal bailiwick, right? Which was looking at the Beargrass Creek and what can you do there? And we partnered up um, with uh, Kentucky, uh, waterways Alliance. I'm sure I've got that wrong. That's right. Um, no, that's <clears throat> okay. With, you know, Ward Wilson and those guys and sort of we, and took on that section, right? Basically from, um, uh, from the park there, what's the park? Joe um, Creason. Joe Creason from Joe Creason down basically to the convergence where, the two forks come together. Um, so there's the, 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 they come together kind of right there on Melwood, really close to like the Fisher meat packing plant. And so we looked, we basically just spent days sort of walking and driving and hopping out of our car and um, just looking at, okay, what could you do here? Um, and where might there be spaces? And if we think about a trail system, how might it work and those kinds of things? I think lots of people have thought about this, so I'm not claiming we originated anything, but, um, you know, it's been an exciting idea. And we thought of it as even though like that's a lot of that section, I mean, you go through Joe Creason, I think once you get to um, maybe just uh, south of Eastern Parkway is where it sort of becomes a concrete culvert, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but we thought of it all as waterfront property, you know, um, because there's a lot of interesting things that happen along the way, whether you're in the natural, more naturalized sections or in the culverted sections. And just that if you thought of it as an amenity, um, you know, you could think of of a path system and places or spaces along the way that you could do little things. So the last I heard, and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get these numbers right, but I think 
Army Corps of Engineers was putting up $75,000 for a study that had to have a local match. Yeah. And I think that happened in 2019. And so, and for the specific program they're doing, I think it's been applied to like restoring the Everglades and um, the Los Angeles River, I think, too. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, something is happening. I don't know if anybody knows, uh, you know, between the Army Corps and MSD, like what they're talking about, but it, it seems like something's moving forward in terms of tearing out the channel at least and renaturalizing it but whether that includes yeah. you know a, a boardwalk or a shared use path i don't yeah. know yeah and in and it's in like this whatever's happening with this um butchertown phoenix hill plan is hopefully a, a a catalyst in like bringing together the 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 plans that were paid for with us army corps money and, and the other things that metro was thinking about in that capacity um i, I just before i, I don't i don't want to like get off this this idea of just what was up outside of this. I mean, cause this is really like this huge swath of the city. That's not even in Phoenix Hill or butcher town that we're talking about here. Yeah. But just before we get, I, I just didn't want to miss like what was up with the butcher town um, Phoenix Hill plan. Cause the last time we talked about it on city state, it was like very formative and they were just getting the um, neighborhood groups together and just, you know, throwing the pixels at the digital concept board. But like, Rob, I know you've had some good sort of thoughts on like what what came out of it. And I think a big piece of like what the the planners um, and the, the consultants in the city were looking at uh, with this plan are, are some pretty big like connectivity changes in Phoenix Hill and in Butchertown. Um, and I was wondering if you could if you could tell us anything about that. Yeah, I mean, the, the mobility objectives um, are, are pretty impressive. I'm not going to pretend like I know them all. Um, by heart or anything, because it, it is kind of a lot to take in. Um, but, you know, a big part of it's two-way conversions. Um, the the group that would wrote the Complete Streets Ordinance for Louisville was on the project team. And so I know Complete Streets, um, you know, as a concept of, you know, roadways and uh, sidewalks that are accessible for all users. Um, that That's a huge part of of, of what they're um, talking about, two-way conversions, uh, is also mentioned pretty frequently. So, which I think a lot of those things have been underway um, and and talked about for a while. But you know, having a document that has community support, hopefully, um, and having that sort of move through the channels of KIPTA, KYTC, and the federal government, I think. Um, I think it could be a really positive uh, thing. Yeah. Like some of the things like when I lived in Butchertown um, and some of the things that like just getting around the city even before I only lived there for like, like a year, but a really annoying thing is like Shelby street being like disconnected um, like stupidly, like an, South Campbell being disconnected stupidly like are is the Butchertown Phoenix Hill plan like talking about reconnecting um Shelby and Campbell I I think it does make mention of like going reconnecting streets like through that strange apartment complex where it just ends is that kind of where you're talking about Madison and Shelby like they've intentionally cut off the street there yeah, um, and, and and where you know where Campbell hits, um, um, they they made that dumb like Chestnut Street connector, 
Um, yeah. or, and that's the way everybody goes to get from like, you know, Broadway over into like um, the Phoenix Hill, newly Butchertown area instead of just driving down Campbell Street on a connected yeah. grid network. Right. Like um, like these these two things are things that kill connectivity and, and honestly kill these neighborhoods in some respect. And um, I was curious if the plan like uh, had like was talking about fixing that. This this is the thing in Louisville and it, whether it's places like um, Burnett and, and Preston and, and Hill Street or whether it's this Shelby and Madison Street thing, people like in the 50s and 60s made these explicit decisions to like stop the grid network from working like it's supposed to. And I don't know what that was about. I don't know what that was about, you know, like and I, I can, I can surmise what it was about, but like they really did a huge disservice to the community that generations of people have had to live with um, in terms of right. like making Louisville even, because we already have these railroads. We already have the Beargrass Creek. Like why, why do we need to purposefully not make the grid system work anymore? Well, every, I, I think it, it's pretty clear to me. Um, I mean, the same reasons that, you know, suburban housing was exclusive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's steeped in racism. Um, yeah. Every city in America, I think, has one way street systems that move through black and poor neighborhoods. Yes. Um, and and that's that's pretty clear to me. Um, and, and the same in Louisville. Is there anything we missed on, on Butchertown, Phoenix Hill, New yeah, Lou? What, Rob, you had made a statement about the idea of sort of taking down like some of that culverted concrete area and so when i was saying you know i think there's a possibility of a greenway sort of going through this right connectivity and those kinds of things um i want to say i don't think they'll remove the concrete where where it sort of moves into that sort of culverted system right Mm -hmm. because they need that to work ultimately you you can't the the fear is that you would remove um, you've got to move that water through quickly, otherwise, because it's it's basically culverted where the the sort of densest sections of of town are, right? And so you don't want us to create a scenario where that sort of backs up and gets into the streets and that kind of stuff. So they may be looking at removing some of that. I think chances are they probably may not remove it. But what can happen is if you think of a streetway. It you know there's right away right, and in that right away it's the sort of place where the street happens, the sidewalk happens, those kinds of things. And so I think you can think of the Beargrass Creek corridor as having a right away, and the ability for um, like a multi-use pass system or something to happen within that right away, even though mm-hmm. the concrete culvert is there and stuff. And there's and and improving the ecology of the site because there are a lot of areas where the culverts exposed to sun. You know, when temperatures goes up, uh, when temperatures go up, the water you know becomes less oxygenated. It's harder for fish and things to live in it. Right, so you can improve the ecology of the site just by tree plantings and native plantings along. Even if you still have that culverted system, right? So you can introduce a pass system and you can introduce a native plant system that will at least support the wildlife that's happening. Because there are sections in that if you go behind like Barrett Avenue. Um, uh, 
and Kentucky Street, those kinds of things that are really intensely wooded. And you'll see fox and birds of all kinds of nature. Oh, you yeah. also always see ducks swimming, even in that sort of concrete culverted system. So you can make improvements to the ecology of that of that system without even tearing down the culvert. So <clears throat> I, I, wonder... just, I just want to be clear that I, I, I don't know if that's on the table. Yeah, I wonder um, how like the Logan Street CSO basin plays into that flood control system. I don't I don't know anything. Sure. But I'd, I'd be curious to hear from somebody like uh, somebody at KWA yeah. or something I, about that. And and I think they're thinking of those kinds of things. But I also think that the the minute that system um, I don't want to say fails, but like, you know, you have the storm that it can mm-hmm. compete with, right? There's so much water. I mean, if you think of that culvert, it's picking up water, you know, in these big rain events. It's flash flooding scenarios, right? So um, there's water coming from square miles all around. And so you've got to get it out. So anyway, I just wanted to say that that I don't know that removing the culvert is a part of that system, mm-hmm. but I think that there are other pieces. Um, like That's I said, the past system sort of thinking of it as a road right away, right. And being able to put that sidewalk within the right away uh, is a way to think about this, um, especially the culverted sections of that. And you can still have a lot of wildlife and stuff happening in there. The other Simi- thing, and this is, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I, was, I was just going to say, you know, if we look at and this is sort of a side note as a as a design person who works for a design firm who wants to make sure people know where these ideas come from, because often in our um, uh, in our publications, whether it's news like WI <laughs> or uh, you know, some magazine, yeah. or whatever, posting these images. This like is where I, I was at, going, dog. Go ahead. If this I look at, I if I look at WLKY's um, <laughs> webpage, uh, on every graphic they say Hearst owned, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so no, it's not Hearst owned. Okay, you, that's not it, where I was going. But so, funny. Where I was, let me, let me where finish. I was going. Yeah, I want to yeah. say yeah. something about that yeah. too. Cap it off. Go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say that it's very important for people to know that. There are design firms and people spending lots of time and focusing all their energy and effort in every moment of their life. Like when they're taking a shower, they're thinking about how these things work, right? Those come – these images that are created in these publications, whether it's in Business First, the Leo, um, WKY or whatever, those images are created and copyrighted and owned, in fact, by probably MKSK who did those. Right. Those images are also very unlikely to ever happen, but Rob, what were you well, going to say? But they're probably owned by the city, though, right? Because the city is contracting they, a private firm owned, to develop those. So they, The city can do what they want with them, but this, the images are copyrighted and by the firm, right? Every, That's interesting. Your, okay, neither of you are going to the point that I wanted to go to, which is that like the, the news companies and, 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 and the social platforms have these images on them. And then, like, people get very excited about what they're seeing in these images without the realization that there's, like, a like a very small chance that these images will be implemented. Sure. Um, well, that it, just it, depends it, on how people take those images uh, true, and organize true. around them. Yeah, and that's right, the thing, yeah. I think, in planning that people miss. 
And to yes. Corey Arthur talks about this all the time is, you know, we can go through these processes, but then it's kind of in the community's hand where it goes after that. Some, and, some people see the images on a Hearst. That. Some people see the images on a Hearst news media uh, outlet and they think that this, this is happening. They don't realize that right. this is a this is a concept. Yeah. This is a, yeah, this is an idea, idea that that yeah. some, you know, government. Some elected people will be, you know, hopefully trying to put forward. They think like, oh, my God, there's going to be a trail from the zoo to Butchertown. This is awesome. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know, like um, and then they and, get mad when it doesn't get built. Yeah. Or forget about it when it just, you know, never happens, like yeah, which has been so many things like and, and I think maybe news could do a better job of being like. You know, this is a this is a proposal. You know, this is a plan, and then it's up to us as the people to get this plan implemented. Yeah. The guy that they they interviewed from the Butchertown Neighborhood Association was like said that very clearly in the interview, and they they ran that bit of the interview on one of the the CBS news station here, WLKY. He was like, "This is basically like a, a wish list of what we would like to happen," and like yeah. that's a, a good way to think about what planning is in a lot of cases. And like Rob pointed out very well, like. The plan is here. City people decided to spend money on this plan uh, with consultants. But, you know, the city people need to do a good job of working with the community to see that these bits and pieces of the city, these ideas for it actually can happen. Right. And, well, I'd, and, I'd say one of the sorry, go ahead. No, uh, you go ahead. I'd say and I'm going to give you credit. So you'll like this. Uh, I think one of the best examples of that is the Parkland Plaza that. I think broke ground a couple months ago where the neighborhood plan, um, the Parkland neighborhood plan had this concept in it as something that they wanted to see implemented. And then between center for neighborhoods, trees, Louisville and Pat, I think you worked on that, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, and so Gresham Smith did. Yeah. Got this work done and, and it's happening now. So that's how, you know, plans sit on shelves until people take them off the shelves, but we shouldn't wait for the city to do that because they're dealing with a lot. Well, so right. Look. I mean, that's a good point. And, and it was one I was going to go to, which is, I, I think, and so to sort of try and pull all this into a thing, right, which is um, these ideas come from. Uh, you know, all these different places, right? It comes from city officials thinking, okay, we need to do something here, right? Um, it comes from the public saying, we'd like to see these things happening. It comes from the designer sort of hearing those things and understanding, you know, okay, I'm trying to sort of pull this information together and synthesize it and stuff. And you pull it into these sort of these plan graphics or these renderings and these kinds of things, but ultimately they're ideas that have to be invested in. And, you know, as you sort of go through, you know, you could take this public, a public project, um, you know, as you go through it, it's then dependent upon the city to invest in it. But I don't mean to just place all the responsibility on city officials. Like, we as a community, as citizens of the community, have to decide that these things are important enough to put yeah. our money into it. If we don't, is that they're going to take these master plans and chase grants for things like the Louisville Loop mm-hmm. that nobody's asking yeah. for. Like, that's what, you know, this past administration I'm, has seen I'm honestly, as important. So. I'm, I'm honestly, like, less worried about that scenario, even though that's a very valid scenario that you bring up. 
I'm like I'm, I'm I'm like looking like five and ten years into the future, like assuming things like stay this way and this trajectory and civil society maintains for another ten years. Like I, I, I feel like people will be more like smart and wise to the idea that they need to be the squeaky wheel because the situation right now is that local governments are overwhelmed with the work that needs to be done. They don't have enough staff and they don't have enough money. So like well-organized and smart and respectful groups that can connect with them to like press a project can possibly get lifted up and implemented. But like yeah. as more smart people realize that, then it's like, it just becomes like, how do they prioritize which like, you know, savvy group of neighborhood people or local advocates are the ones that need to be prioritized because like the the situation is, is that we've bitten off more than we can chew with like city infrastructure. And a lot of that's the problem of developing for a massive road network uh, that's kind of redundant and ridiculous and too wide and too much. And so like where where like once everybody realizes that like I need to be the squeaky wheel, then how do they figure out where to put the money? Because there's not enough money for all of it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We work in the public sector and in the private well, I, sector. I, I, oh, well, I was just going to say that private developments are constantly sort of reprioritizing and figuring out as a project goes through. Right of how to do what the where are the priorities where do we put our money how do we invest in this thing and it's harder to do that on a city scale right so mm -hmm. when you sort of move into this sort of scale of like this where you're talking about what three neighborhoods so yeah. how do we how do we pull together as a community to prioritize and invest and i think what happens what you were going to is like, who are those neighborhood uh, associations? We can look at different park projects that we've worked on and we could see one neighborhood where they got really involved and one neighborhood where they didn't get as involved. Right. And um, the neighborhood that got involved sort of they just showed up knowing they had the power to influence. Yeah. And the neighborhood that didn't get involved. um they didn't know they had the power to influence. Mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. didn't. And yeah. those you had one neighborhood that was middle to upper middle class and one neighborhood that was um, middle to lower middle class. And you can um, you we all know that it was the neighborhood with the middle to lower middle class that didn't realize the potential to influence the project. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of these issues are systemic. So one way to sort of automate solutions is through policy design. So something like the complete streets ordinance um, where they're examining, you know, locally controlled roads um, as they're repaving them to see if they can accommodate, you know, um, complete streets infrastructure. I think that's one way that we can sort of address these systemic issues um, in a more efficient manner. Uh, Rob, can you just do a real brief description on what complete streets means? I, I Yeah, so I don't know like the exact definition, I guess, off the top of my head. But to me, it just means um, corridors that accommodate all modes of transportation. So whether it's walking, whether it's using, you know, an electric wheelchair, whether it's biking, um, public, you know, transportation or cars, designing streets that 
all modes can pass through safely. And we um, recently here in Louisville had a um, complete streets ordinance adopted in um, 2019, but it's been very slow going in terms of getting like the the sort of rubber hitting the road on what that means and on any kind of responsibility or action or implementation of this. A, a, a city government can blame COVID on that. I think at some degree, not much has happened yet. Um, so we'll see where the complete streets ordinance for Louisville is going. One thing I did definitely wanted to touch on, Henry, I want you to get in here too. I don't, I don't know if you've been familiar with, with the argument here or what's going on with it. Apparently somebody in the state legislature has been talking about um, red light cameras. Like I, I think initially this may have come out of a um, from a state uh, congressperson in Lexington maybe a few months ago, but now um, – Rick Blackwell here, a local uh, council person, wants to have Metro Council write a resolution that goes to Frankfurt that tells them that they support this. This idea of red light traffic cameras, like uh, which is this is something that I go back and forth on the the conversation that was happening um, on the internet recently about it. I thought was very illuminating, very interesting. The idea is that. There's a camera at the intersection. If you run a red light, a ticket gets mailed to your house and that this is going to go onto your rec- your, your traffic crime record. Um, $50, I think, is the proposal. This is actually Senate 19, Senate Bill 19, uh, filed by Senator Reggie Thomas. And basically a council person here in Louisville wants to like write a letter that says that they support this. This is something as somebody that's interested in like how we slow people down in neighborhoods. Like if it were just up to me, I would be like, why do we stop at red lights? Why not just have this be for speeders and school zones or people that are like on thoroughfares with a lot of density and a lot of pedestrians? Why not just have the ticket go to the people that are speeding? But a lot of, you know, people that are advocates for social justice are worried about the impact that something like this would have on people um, that don't make a lot of money. Like, um, before I get to my thoughts on it, I just wanted to see what you guys, where you guys are coming from on it, what you thought. So the issue is is the design of our roads. So trying to kind of have these creative interventions, like it may or may not work. Like nobody really knows. What what we do know works is road diets, is bump outs, is redesigning our streets to make them, you know, more instinctively like slower because one thing people don't talk about is driving is kind of like a passive activity um people just like zone out so if you're on a street or a strode i guess is is what the, we, we call it now um that feels like a highway and you know the setbacks are really far back like dixie highway or preston you're going to treat it like a highway and you're going to go as fast as you want to, even if you're not actively trying to exceed the speed limit, right? Just because the design sort of facilitates that. So from my perspective, like, I do think that it's likely that red light cameras would, you know, um, punish people of lower incomes um, more than, you know, people that can kind of afford that ticket. I think that's probably pretty obvious to, to me yeah. at least yeah one i think one <clears> bit <throat> i had on that was like um I, i'm kind of for this kind of a thing because like in my own personal research like 
whatever's happening in, in police departments, um, traffic enforcement is not a priority in local police departments. No. Unless unless something is wrong with the data that they're putting out about who they cite uh, for issues. The thing that I found in various kinds of different um, criminal, you know, not criminal, sorry, traffic citations is that the last few years, uh, police have just they, they're not giving out tickets for speeding. They're not giving out tickets for running red lights. Um, honestly, like the number of tickets they give out for speeding is way more than they give out for tickets for red lights. Um, there was only like in the last like, you know, last year, the number of tickets a month for red light running is like under 100. It's 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 ridiculously low. Um, I took and, those and, and, videos. And, 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 that belies the video that you shared, Rob, of just yeah. like people just there like like 10. Yeah, just like in one light, just 10 cars yeah. going through. We used to call that the California yellow. But like um, yeah. the, like so. So but the, the, the sticky point here is where justice advocates are saying that this is going to come down harder on low income people. Um, I get that. I, I, I think one way one thing if you did have these automated speed cameras or these automated red light cameras is like so the first ticket you don't get any bill on like so there's actually there's no money but you've been warned slow down like stop driving crazy through these neighborhoods and then the second one that's when the 50 dollar you know ticket kicks in i don't know about all these like comp, sort of complicated ideas of like well if they have a bmw it's 250 and if they have a mm -hmm. 1997 camry then it's 40. you know i don't think i don't know how you codify yeah, that, that right work. Like, that, that but, just creates animosity i'm saying but but people don't want to be traffic stopped because that's when crazy shit can happen you know yeah. like when a cop pulls somebody over that's like that's when bad stuff happens because that cop is who knows what's up with that cop like and where they're coming from and if they're freaked out because yeah. they don't know what's going on inside of this car and yeah. they have their own weird shit that they have yeah. going on in their head just because somebody you know is having a bad day and, and fucked up like right. in, in driving their car at the same time i i can't I'm, I'm not super like having a lot of sympathy for people that are speeding through neighborhoods and speeding through where kids are walking and where people are walking their dogs and where it's like a neighborhood commercial setting or just a yeah. straight up neighborhood setting with apartment buildings or houses. Like I'm, I'm like not like shedding a lot of tears for people that are doing 20 over like well, in, in, on neighborhood streets. Here, here's a point that I don't think I saw brought up, but, but I've been thinking about recently. Like in most cities, and most of the time you're driving, you're going in an area where the speed limit is is probably like what 40, 35 miles an hour. Yeah. But why are cars able to go 120 miles an hour, an hour yeah. at all? We yeah. we don't right. address the responsibility of these car companies. Oh yeah. And if we really wanted to talk about like what advanced technology could do, you know, we have Bluetooth. Uh, it could probably interact with a car system. I mean, that's what if I mean, it just talking, capped how fast you can go. People are tripping about like Big Brother on just having them get a ticket for like recklessly driving. So like the idea of like what people would say if like they couldn't like bring out their like Dodge Charger at like 80 <laughs> yeah. MPH, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. but uh, we, we, we built our own grave here. It's something I think about all yeah. the time. We made our own bed 
on yeah, all of this yeah. stuff. You know, like we supported the car culture. We had the commercials with George Washington driving the Mustang, you know, <laughs> fastly across the, the, you know, expanse to save the world. Like we, we, we have these engineers have designed the roadways that have like broken people's brains into thinking that like, this is the way it's supposed to be. You know, it's like, it I'm, has I'm watching to be. Even I'm watching that that show on um, Hulu dope sick about how like Oxycontin, it like changed people's brain chemistry to where they like they could not get off Oxycontin um, and it would take them two years to get off Oxycontin because it messed their brains up so bad. Like that's what traffic engineering has done to like most drivers like they just cannot understand that. They need to drive a lot, lot, lot yeah. slower, and they need to be okay with stopping when there's people around them and not acting like they're totally fucking annoyed and like their day's been ruined because they had to like get around a person that was in their way. Like, and that's that's what traffic engineering has done to us mentally. Like, I think like what I'm seeing is that the idea that this could be inequitable, that these camera, um, these cameras could be inequitable and could be used against um, blacks and poor people. Like, it, it's, it's a, I think it's enough to shut the whole idea down, especially when you put that into the hands of a Republican um, state, you know, congressperson or senator that's going to be like, oh, well, I don't even have to do any of my own work here because of my own big brother weirdness ideas. I can just cite um, what people on the left are saying about this being um, uh, an inequity. And, and well, that's all I, mean, I need to bring into, like, shutting this idea maybe down. Maybe you start in – in downtown in the highlands maybe you start in the east end those kinds of things right so that you're sort of i think you you need to create a culture where people are slowing down like you're saying right i think the other thing the other piece is um they should be run and managed by i think metro governments um versus like the sort of the third party you know private you know sort of getting a percentage kind of thing. So I think you have to be careful about incentive incentivizing. Who, who, and who runs it? Who runs it? It's a very interesting point because uh, there's been some cry from advocates. And I think that there's maybe even one or two council people that are thinking about what it would look like to have a Louisville Metro department of transportation, like where there's like, we it's, it's enforcement is not up to LMPD. Um, and we bring together like the operations of various different outfits, whether that's advanced planning, whether that's public works or whether that's the enforcement arm of an LMPD. And you put that all into something like a Louisville Department of Transportation that then is out there working for safer, better streets that's out there maybe managing these um kinds of cameras, assuming that we could get them in place, if the state would let us put them in place. And that's doing like sort of like a more kind of kinder, gentler enforcement around traffic that doesn't involve people getting murdered um, and shot as they get pulled over. It doesn't involve people going to prison um, because they, you know, had a traffic infraction, but then also had a joint in their car or whatever, like um, a way to make streets safer, that's that's not tied to kind of punitive law enforcement. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that has legs, but um, I think that's an idea that some people have been floating up. Yeah, I think that's I, important. Sorry. Go ahead, Rob. Well, I think it would probably require federal funding to be distributed distributed differently like that. And I kind of feel that about like most kind of systemic issues, because if you're talking about making huge, drastic changes like that, 
Um, I mean, I would love to see it. I think the less interactions that people have to have with police officers, the better. Um, and that's that'd be a huge step forward for me. One well, last thing about these uh, red light cameras is people can't seem to get off the like kind of big brother surveillance like piece of it. Um, and I'm just I, I'm just not sure how realistic that is. You know, it's like we, we just need people to slow down in the city, I think, is the thing. Well, it's. And to that point, though, it's sort of a, I've had this like philosophical debate with myself that like whose fault is it when people speed? Like if mm-hmm. everybody is speeding, it's kind of on the, the city and the state. Yeah transportation offices for not making environments that just naturally slow people down totally totally and and we've been on this and and, uh, i wish we would have headed this up with that and thank you for that rob because the whole situation here and i think you already did say this rob the whole situation is that the roadways have been designed in a way that's unsafe yeah civil engineers have designed unsafe roadways so they can get cars through the city and out to the suburbs right And, and, and that's and, and like we need to like but the problem with that is is that it's going to take especially with budgets being where they are especially where community sentiment is on being able to drive as fast as they damn well want to in their giant cars is people are going to fight that engineers are going to fight that and it's going to take decades to make roads safe physically yeah i agree but but i also want to say that i think the engineers are responding to what's being asked of them on some level and um, I feel that I think you're right. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. The culture is it's it's in the culture. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we keep asking for. And and I think like, you know, I, a friend of mine lives in East Germany in a in a in a city that is a population of 200,000. And he has the option of a elevated subway system which is fairly fast get you where you need to go of a streetcar system which is basically light rail of a bus system a multi-use pass system or he can do like a legit like walk out and use an app and rent a car and that's in a city of 200,000 he has Uh, all those options that city of 200,000 probably looks a lot more intense and dense than our supposed city of 700,000. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I know we, we all got to jump off and I think I think we're rolling out unless anybody has any final things to say. Just, man, I got to uh, just give a huge thanks out to the Smacks uh, for our fantastic intro and outro music. Major, major thanks as always to uh, Patrick Henry uh, for, you know, being, being the heart and soul of the City State Podcast. <laughs> And I really, I mean, a, a really a major kudos and just, just happy to have um, Rob have you on. This has been fun. I definitely want to do it again. Good. Yep. So it's good. It, it's been too long. We're coming I back. Know. We're out of hibernation. Been, like, I, I feel like that whole period, like, through kind of like Christmas into early January, like, nothing was happening. There was, like, no news. It was, like, it was warm as hell, but it was cold as hell. And it was, like, a weird time. But we're crawling out of the cave. We're coming back. Um, look forward to maybe another city state, maybe maybe you know five six months from now. <laughs> All right, you guys. All right, All right peace. Have a good one.